Good morning, everyone. Okay. So this is really important. I need you guys' attention, full attention. Who here, raise your hand, has seen the movie Sandlot? Oh. One of my favorites. <laughs> this is a passing grade. This is a good, this is good. I'd give it a B plus. It's solid. Congratulations, church. You pass. Uh, so if you haven't seen the movie Sandlot, let me just catch up with everyone else. Uh, this movie's like as old as I am, so you don't really have an excuse, but... We're supposed to be gracious in church, so we'll let it slide. So the movie Sandlot kind of goes like this. So there's this new kid. He's around the age of uh, 10 or so, and he moves into a new neighborhood, right, with his stepmother and his, uh, his stepfather and his mother, and he doesn't know anybody, and it's summer, and he's kind of awkward. So he goes to the park, and he sees a bunch of kids around his own age playing baseball. So he's like, okay, well, I better go make friends. That's what kids do. And so he does. He makes friends. Uh, They play baseball all summer. They go on lots of fun adventures, and it's really great. And then one day, uh, they run out of baseballs. Oh, gosh. But our main character, Smalls, has an idea. My dad has a baseball, so he goes home, which isn't far, and he grabs his dad's baseball out of a, peculiarly out of a glass, you know, closet where it's enshrined for some reason. And so he brings it back, and then they start playing with it, and then, crack, someone hits a home run. Great, and it goes over the fence where the scary dog lives and the mean man, and then the baseball is kind of lost. So, no big deal, except for the fact that that baseball was signed by Babe Ruth. (laughs) Oh no, Smalls, (laughs) what are you doing? So then, the rest of the movie is pretty much an adventure on how do we get this baseball back, okay? Uh, First, someone's like, well, why don't we just go and knock on the guy's door? And then they're all like, no, 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 terrible idea. He's a mean, awful person. Not a good idea. So then they go through all these, like, elaborate inventions and just all these schemes that all fail miserably until eventually... Uh, one of the boys jumps over the fence himself, runs and grabs the ball, and then go on a wild chase. The dog jumps out of the, out of the yard, and then they chase uh, around the neighborhood, and then eventually get back, and then, uh, you know, fence falls on the dog. It's just terrible. But they, anyway, they make up. The boys and the dog become friends, and then they are kind of like, well, this is kind of awkward. Uh, we have to go and knock on this scary man's door. And so they knock on the scary man's door, and they're like, here's your, here's your dog. <laughs> And he's like, ah, so do you guys been making all the racket out there? And they're like, yeah, well, our baseball kind of went over the fence. And he was just like, why didn't you just ask me? I would have gotten it for you. (laughs) So pretty much all the fun we just had in that movie could have all been avoided had they just asked the man. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. And that's kind of where we are in, in the story of Abraham that we've been, we've been walking through for several weeks now. Uh, so... Uh, Today we're going to look at God's covenant of circumcision with Abraham and how it's relevant to us today. And we're picking up kind of at that moment where Abraham kind of knocks on the door and then God's just like, why didn't you just ask me, idiot? (laughs) That's kind of where we are. So before we get into the text, let's pray real quick. Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We thank you for uh, just first and foremost the, the freedom that we have to meet together. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in China who are who don't have that freedom to meet together. Lord, uh, many of our brothers and sisters are being imprisoned for meeting together just like we are. Uh, Lord, we just pray for them, that you'd be with them uh, this day. Lord, we pray that you would help our minds focus, Lord, on the text this morning, that you would help us uh, just really examine ourselves and our relationship with you. And we just pray that you would be gracious to us in this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool beans. All right. I've been saying that a lot this week. Cool beans. So if I say that, just kind of like 
give me evil glares, and that, that hopefully that'll scare that phrase right out of me. Because it's, it's really not a good phrase, cool beans. Anyway, so today we're going to be looking at God's covenant of circumcision with Abraham and how it's relevant to us today, okay? So we're going to be looking at four things. We're going to be looking at what is this covenant, who is in it, uh, how does it end, you know, where does it all go, and then fourthly, how do we today respond to this? Cool. So why don't you open with me to Genesis chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, we've got uh, plenty right over there by the wall under that very Irish-looking hat. Uh, you can grab one. So also you may not know, you have, you have phones and probably all have Bible apps. If not, they're very easy to download. Uh, cool. So it'll be up on the screen as well. Probably should mention that. So we're going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 21 initially, and then we're going to dive into the rest of it a little bit later. Okay? So we'll start at verse 1. So when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord... Uh, actually, pause. <laughs> so whenever, uh, whenever you see capital L-O-R-D in your Old Testament, that's actually code word for God's personal name, Yahweh. Is the Hebrew way to say it, or the English way of pronouncing it is Jehovah. So if you don't mind, I would actually prefer to pronounce it the Hebrew way. Because whenever you see capital L, lowercase o-r-d, that's actually not his personal, God's personal name. That's just a title of, of Lord. So uh, let's restart, and I'm going to pronounce it the, probably the way the author intended. So, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, Yahweh appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I might make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give, you, uh, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So we're going we're gonna to get to, there's a lot of information. There's a lot in this text. This is a really 
uh, especially as you're even reading the New Testament, this is one of the most important topics that the New Testament authors deal with. So there, there's going to be a lot of information flying around. I'm going to try to not be overwhelming. But if you're a note-taking kind of person, I would strongly encourage it. And if you're not a note-taking person, maybe, maybe this is the day to try it out. You know, maybe this is the day to uh, grab a piece of paper and a pen and uh, try the whole note-taking thing. Um, so firstly, we're going to look at what is this covenant? What is God's covenant with Abraham? Okay? Uh, so first, let's grab some context, right? Uh, some of you may not have been trekking with us in this study through Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis and Abraham's life. So the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's the book of creation, okay? So first, what happens, uh, God creates the universe out of nothing, everything. People, animals, birds, planets, stars, everything he creates. And he creates people and gives them a special position of stewardship on the earth. Right? They're responsible for everything. And they had one job and they kind of, well, they, yeah, they messed that up. So you have the fall of human beings uh, and then they populate the earth and to such an extent and they become so evil that God determines to flood the entire earth. Kills everyone and everything in the entire earth except for a man named Noah and his family and some animals that they have on this giant barge floating on the, uh, floating on the waters for a few months. And then uh, they land. Noah's family populates and they kind of remain in a geographical region around a city called Babel. Okay? And they are up to no good there too. And so God scatters them. And then we have the creation of a thing called ethnic groups, people groups, we have, who have different languages, different cultures. And that's the beginning. Those are the first ethnic groups. And then the story of Abraham is God's first dealing with ethnic groups. He picks a particular uh, group of people and uh, interacts with them primarily up until the time of Jesus. That's where we are. Okay? Uh, so then in Abraham's life, just to catch you up, we have uh, Abraham lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. God calls him from his homeland, from his, all his family and friends, and he takes, uh, takes some of his family with him and moves to a place called Canaan. That's where he's supposed to set up shop. And so along the way, he makes uh, tons of mistakes. He has good successes too, but, um, and then we're picking up after one of his, probably his worst mistake, the, uh, the uh, debacle with Hagar and Ishmael. So pretty much to catch up on that from last week, uh, Abraham and Sarah, well, Abram and Sarai, as their names previously were, they were uh, promised by God descendants, as numerous as the stars. Here's the problem, though. They're really old. They're older than anybody here. They're really old. Older than my parents. Old. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so they're old, right? They're way past the time where it's normal to have, uh, older to have kids. Uh, they're, they're too old for that. So, uh, they kind of doubt God. And Sarai has this idea, you know, we need uh, offspring. People often take offspring with some of their mistresses. I've got a mistress. Abraham, great idea. He's like golden. And so they, uh, uh, Sarai gives Abram one of her mistresses, Hagar, and they have a kid. And it was a terrible mistake. It was against God's will uh, and it was sin. And this is, so that was chapter 16, and now it tells us Abram is 99 years old. That's 13 years later. So presumably, if we're to infer, God hasn't communicated with Abram in a significant way in 13 years. 
It's a long time, right? That's a long time of presumably silence, right? And in this time, God is preparing Abram for the gift of Isaac, his, his son by Sarah that is coming in the future. Okay, so that's where we are. So what is a covenant? Probably important to, to hash out what that word means. We don't use the word covenant a lot, right? We, we, don't, we don't do that a whole often. The Hebrew word there is bereith, okay? That's, so it is a divine constitution or ordinance with signs and pledges is the official definition of a covenant. I can repeat that for my note takers. A divine constitution or ordinance with signs and pledges. That's what a covenant is. A covenant is more than just uh, like a business contract. It's much more personal and relational than that. But it's also much more legal and structured than just a normal friendship or uh, a thing of that nature. It's much more like a marriage than it is like a friendship. In a marriage, you make legal pledges to one another, but uh, it's also not just a business relationship, right? Uh, so... So we know what a covenant is, okay? So then, what are the terms of this covenant? And as you look at it, uh, verses like 1 through 21 is actually structured in a very legal way. Verses 1 through 3 are kind of like a preamble, if you will, to this constitution. Uh, my mom's a history major. She loves the word preamble. And then verses 4 through 8 are God's, what he promises to do. And then verses 9 through 14 are what Abram's supposed to do, what he's supposed to do. So what is God supposed to do? So he promises to bless Abraham's posterity. He promises to give him land and descendants. He promises an endurance of relationship in verse 17. He says an everlasting covenant, so long time. Uh, and he also promises to be their God, which is very significant. That, that may not sound uh, as striking, but when you, in Abraham's context, when you have a God, that's who you go to for things. When you, need, uh, when you need crops, if you've got a famine or something, well, better check with Baal. He's, uh, he's probably mad at us, so we better sacrifice some of our children or some, something like that. That's what, that's what gods were in that time. We better check with Molech. He's probably mad at us about this. Each God had their own region. They had their own uh, you know, part of life to whom you would go to and say, hey, God, we sacrificed to you. Can you help us out with this part of life? So it was almost a way of like coercing the, uh, the beings around you to help you out with a particular aspect of your life. But God doesn't say, I'm going to be your God of, you know, finance. I'm going to be your God of offspring. He's going to be their God, period, right? Uh, so that's what God promises to do. Now, Abraham, his terms of the covenant, uh, in the preamble, in verses 1 through 3, there's a... Uh, so when, when God calls himself... I am God Almighty. The Hebrew there is El Shaddai, which is, uh, it becomes kind of a famous verse in the Bible, a famous term for God in the Bible. Uh, I am God Almighty. I am all sufficient, in other words. Now, given the context of what just happened in the last chapter with Hagar, what do you think God is trying to communicate to Abraham? I am all sufficient. And remember, Abraham... Uh, and his wife just tried to figure out their problem for themselves, right? They were like, hmm, God gave us this promise. We could go to him, or we can try and figure out this on our own, right? Just kind of like the kids in the sandlot, instead of going to uh, James Earl Jones and being like, hey, James Earl Jones, baseball backyard, can you help us, please? They try and figure it out on their own. Uh, I don't remember James Earl Jones' name in the, it's James Earl Jones, uh, Darth Vader and stuff. 
So the first thing that God, uh, God requires of Abraham in this covenant is to depend on him for everything. He is all sufficient, right? You don't have to figure things out on your own. You don't have to be uh, in charge of your own life. You can be with me in personal relationship and rely on me for things. That's the first thing. Also we see in the preamble, God requires blamelessness from Abraham. That's going to be really significant a little bit later on as we're looking at the rest of this section. But he requires blamelessness from Abraham. So even though in verse in uh, chapter 15, Abraham was declared righteous by faith, uh, it's not a license to go about living any way you want. right? It's not just a... This isn't just external religiosity. It's not just you do this ritual, you do circumcision with your family and with uh, you know, the people in your people group. It's not just like a outward ordinance. This is something that needs to be within you. You need to be blameless, perfect, whole, complete, holy, right? That's what God is requiring of Abraham, which uh, given Abraham's past and his immediate future after this is going to be kind of a problem. And then uh, lastly... Circumcision is part of the covenant, right? Uh, so this is kind of weird for us, isn't it? Like, if you were to make an agreement with uh, your neighbor or your friend or something, I'm guessing circumcision of their family and all their family members after them isn't going to be one of the first things you use to uh, establish the agreement. I'm just, I'm just guessing. Uh, but for Abraham, this actually wasn't that weird. This was a... Uh, the Hebrews did not invent circumcision, that was a thing that was a cultural thing at that time. Uh, we know this from like Egyptian hieroglyphics during that time, during the, the Old Kingdom. Uh, it was a sign of purity uh, and set-apartness. Like the priests in Egypt would often be circumcised. It was a sign of ritual purity. So uh, when God commanded this of him, he was probably like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yep, that, that makes sense. And everybody whom Abraham would later circumcise was like, yep, okay, I got it. That's cool. Uh, but there's also a spiritual symbolic significance to circumcision. It's uh, expounded on throughout the rest of the Bible a, a lot in the New Testament. But circumcision carries it with, with it this idea of a cutting away, a removal of flesh of sin. The, the Bible term flesh usually means sin. Uh, it's this idea of removing impurity from your life, removing uh, you know, things that God would forbid from your life. That's what circumcision, the symbolic uh, aspect of it, entails. It's also often used as circumcision of the heart is a Bible phrase, right? So your, your heart is supposed to be in such a state as where you remove sin and, uh, you know, selfishness from your life. That, that's, that's the idea. That's the symbolic aspect to it. So that's, that's kind of an overall bird's eye view of what is the covenant. But now we should probably focus on who is in the covenant, uh, which may not sound odd at first, but is, is actually, there's kind of a, there's a couple of particulars in there. Ah, water, delicious. Dear Park, that's good water. So uh, the first person in the covenant is this El Shaddai, this Yahweh, this God, this all-powerful creator of the universe who sustains everything, right? And yet he is also personal. He's talking with Abraham right now. He has a relationship with him, right? Uh, and probably also important to notice what happens when God appears to Abraham. What does he do? Is he kind of like, ooh, high five, what's up, God? And fist bump, no, he falls on his face to the ground. He's terrified. <laughs> he is terrified of God. Uh, there's a song that we 
uh, used to saying sometimes in church, and it was it, the chorus kind of went like, "Open up the heavens, we want to see you." Talking to God, I don't, I don't want to see Him. That would be terrifying. <laughs> God is a. Uh, there's a time in the book of Exodus where uh, God is talking to Moses, and He kind of hides Moses in a crack, and He says, "Now just kind of look at me from a distance." when I'm kind of past you, and you can sort of get an idea. But if you look at me directly, you'll die, <laughs> right? The, the Israelite people during, the, during Moses' time on Mount Sinai, they're like, we can't even hear his voice or we'll die, right? This is terrifying. So uh, probably also important to mention that. And uh, a reason for that is, well, what did, God, what did Abraham just do? He just sinned against God in uh, taking Hagar as a mistress, right? He disobeyed God in that. So there's also this idea of, you know, he's a sinful human being in the presence of a holy, all-powerful God. He's terrified, and he should be. Quite frankly, he should be. So we have that person in the covenant. We have God. And then secondly, we have uh, Abraham and his family. They're also the people in the covenant. And a couple important things to notice here. Notice in verse 12, right, it says, uh, he who is eight days among you, eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. So even though God is dealing directly with a people group headed by Abraham, this is actually not ethnically exclusive. By that, by that I mean uh, and it, actually, the Old Testament bears witness to this. People like Rahab, who uh, live in other cities and who are of the far nation of the Canaanites, they can actually be grafted in, is the Bible word. They can become a part of God's covenant family as well. So uh, that, that should be important to notice. Also, it's important to notice, um, God makes a covenant with uh, transforming individuals. Both Abraham's name and Sarai's name, they both change. Now, the significance of this, is, it might be lost on us in our, you know, post-enlightenment, post-modern culture. Uh, name change for Hebrew people was tre tremendously significant. Your name was not just something that your parents thought sounded nice, you know, thought that maybe a weird nickname couldn't be made out of it, or didn't rhyme with anything, like, in the bathroom or something like that. You know, they, they picked names prophetically, they pick names to describe the whole of a human being, right? When someone has a name, that's who they are. That's not just like, uh, you know, a cute title. It's like, describes who they are as a person. So when Abram, which means exalted father, gets changed to Abraham, uh, father of a multitude, that's really significant. God is changing who he is in life. He's not just a leader anymore. He's going to have actual offspring, Right, which is which is huge for the Hebrew people, uh, and then with Sarah's name, with Sarai to Sarah, uh, comment, commentators and scholars are not a hundred percent on the same page with this. Uh, probably the most, the, the best explanation that I found is they actually mean the same thing. Uh, both words mean princess. Uh, so, in other words, th so the significance there would be her name first was princess, which uh, Sarah. I don't know if you knew that, but that's. That's what your name means. It's nice, right? It's a princess. So princess to princess. In other words, uh, so remember, Sarah and the Hagar incident. She pretty much, her, her decision-making process pretty much illuminated that, oh, well, God didn't choose me for Abraham's offspring. He didn't want me. He probably just meant Hagar, 
right? He was probably, yeah, maybe considering me, but I'm not good enough, right? He's not going to pick me. So the significance of this, given the context, I think probably is best likely explained with, no, I meant it when I first said it. Your name is princess. You are going to, kings and peoples are going to come from you. In other words, would be the significance of the name change there. But also we see this in the rest of the Bible, right? Simon gets changed to Peter, which means rock. Israel gets changed, sorry, Jacob gets changed to Israel, right? Which means wrestles with God. Name change is a huge theme and motif in the Bible. And the, the significance of this, God doesn't, uh, God did not cross over, which is the theme of our series. God did not cross over to make bad people good and to make good people better. He crossed over to make dead people live. Right? That's what he came to do. He came to make spiritually dead people spiritually alive. That's been my own story in my own life. Some of you have had the unique station in life of knowing me for some time. Uh, and if you have known me for quite a while, you've seen probably a dramatic transformation. You've seen uh, someone who 10 years ago was tr tremendously selfish, tremendously self-interested, uh, who was just engaged in all sorts of things he should not have been engaged in. That, that's been my story. And during the last six and a half or so years, God has radically transformed my life. Right? He's just completely trained, uh, you know, changed my will, my personality, my desires, my wants, everything. Really, everything has changed. Uh, and some of you have seen God been able to glorify himself in that way in changing someone who was not deserving of his mercy into someone who he's using to preach <laughs> Genesis chapter 17 to a room of like 40 or 50 people. God is awesome. He's really awesome. Fantastic. So, uh, so first we looked at what is the covenant, and now we just covered who is in the covenant. So then next we're going to look at uh, where does this go? You know, where does this covenant of circumcision go? Because I imagine if you've been to Christian churches before, you probably haven't seen a lot of people talking about circumcision. Like it's not a... Uh, particularly important tenet of the Christian faith, right? And there's actually a reason for that. Uh, so, circumcision is a very important topic, especially in the New Testament, like we mentioned earlier. Especially if you read books like uh, from that were written by Paul to the churches in Rome and Galatia and Ephesus, in uh, Philippi, you know, in. Colossae, if you read those letters in the New Testament, it's a huge theme, especially Galatians. He's really concerned about uh, the group of people who are saying that Gentile converts into Christianity, into a relationship with Jesus, they have to be circumcised. It's a hugely important issue that Paul addresses and refutes. Uh, so if you have your Bibles on you, turn with me to Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Almost hear everybody there. So then I'll read it for you. So this is, this is Paul describing the uh, difference between Jews and Gentiles, right? This is post-Jesus crucifixion and resurrection. And this is how he describes circumcision. So verse 28, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So here he's describing, Paul is describing uh, this 
Covenant of circumcision, circumcision is a matter of the heart first and foremost. Just religious rituals never impress God. They never impress God. He is not coerced with, uh, you know, going to church. He's not coerced with volunteering at church even. If your heart is not in it, if this is not something that you desire to do to please him, he's not impressed. Like, he's not fooled, in other words. Uh, and we can see this if we look back at our preamble in Genesis chapter 17. We can see this. What does God require of Abraham? He requires blamelessness, which means perfection. It means wholeness without sin, which uh, is a huge problem for all of us and for Abraham, right? And the way that this kind of gets resolved is through the institution of sacrifice, animal sacrifice. That's where this is going. So, like, uh, when the time of... Well, Abraham will eventually have to sacrifice... Spoiler alert. If you don't want any spoiler alerts on the, on the book of Genesis, tune me out for a second. Okay, you're tuned out. Uh, Abraham will eventually have to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And at the last second, God comes in and he intervenes and he says, no, 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 I will provide the sacrifice. Okay? Spoiler alert over. You can tune me back in if you didn't want to hear. So, this is what happens in the Mosaic Covenant, right? In the, the, everybody's favorite book, the book of Leviticus. There's all this information about the sacrificial system. For this sin, you sacrifice these amount of animals in this way, on this day of the month. Uh, that's what Yom Kippur is. Yom Kippur is, every year, Jewish people, they get, uh, they get well, I don't know if they do it anymore, but they used to. They get the goat, the scapegoat, in other words, and they prey on the scapegoat, and they send him off into the wilderness where all his sin will go, and they kill another goat, and it's, it's this whole thing. But this, uh, these ever-practicing animal sacrifices are meant to atone sinful human beings with a holy God. The idea is, if you offend God's law, he's holy. He can't just say, ah, no big deal, right? And that may sound weird to you. Uh, but Im- imagine if someone really wronged you, right? Really, or maybe imagine it this way. If you were young and your sibling wronged you in just a horrible way, just think of, think of the worst, those of you who have siblings, think of the worst thing your sibling has ever done to you. If you came before your parents and you were like, Mom, Dad, sibling, what is all this? And they said, no big deal. Is that a good parent? Is that a just parent? No, 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 no. And God is the same way. He holds sinful people accountable, right? And that's where we get this. Uh, sinful people before a holy God deserve death. That's what they deserve. And so that's what this animal sacrifice pointed to. Uh, but the book of Hebrews, if you read it, makes clear that animal sacrifices, you know, they never actually did anything. And that was evident by the fact that you had to keep doing them all the time, every year. Right? You had to keep atoning for your sin. You were on this treadmill, just always working and working and working and working. And there was never peace. There was never a wellness of relationship because you were always working to make yourself right with God. So, uh, and you were always working to substitute your sinful self with this blameless animal. So you guys love Christmas? Who doesn't love Christmas? Pretty lights, right? Weird fruit cake. It's awesome. Uh, Christmas is the most amazing thing to have ever happened. Not the holiday in itself, but what the holiday originated from. Uh, God became a man in Jesus of Nazareth. 
I, I don't know if you know that, but uh, that's what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches that it wasn't just a good man and a prophet who, uh, you know, came to teach us how to live good lives and uh, taught us good morals so we could be nice people to one another and that kind of thing. The New Testament actually teaches that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the second person of the Trinity. He was God himself, the creator of all things, the one who was speaking to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. He is the Yahweh of the Old Testament, right? So this Jesus became a human being, joined to himself human flesh, and he walked among his own creation. Here's where it gets real. On the eighth day, after Jesus was born, he was circumcised. Try and wrap your mind around the significance of that. The creator of the universe who made this covenant with Abraham came to fulfill it perfectly himself. Right? That's the message of Christian theism. That's the message of the Bible. Right? He was blameless. He always depended on his father. Right? And then you would think he's going to get this. He's going to become king. That's what all his disciples thought. He's going to become king. He's going to get what he deserves. Instead, he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was tortured by people who were supposed to be the religious leaders of that day. And he died an excruciatingly agonizing death on the cross, uh, a criminal's cross of crucifixion. That's what happened to him instead. And in doing this, he fulfilled Abraham's covenant, and yet he received the punishment that sinful people deserved. He became that substitutionary, atoning sacrifice. He took on uh, the penalties of Abraham and Moses' covenants on himself, even though he had perfectly lived a righteous life, right? Which we were supposed to do. He was that blameless sacrifice. So this is, this is the gospel. I don't know if you've heard that Christian word. We, we say it a lot. Uh, the gospel according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul is saying, you know, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, and it's this, that Christ, uh, that Christ died and uh, was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So he died for our sins on the cross. That's what Paul is saying the gospel is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the good news. That's what gospel means. Gospel is just a weird old English word that means good story. Gospel, good news. That's, that's why we meet together, right? This is what we talk about. This is what we base our lives around, this gospel. Because it's our only hope, right? This is the only hope that sinful people, even 3,000 years after a guy named Abraham lived, this is the only chance that sinful people have to be made right with a holy and just God. Right? So that's where this is going. That's where this ends. And we've already talked about what is this covenant of circumcision, who is in it, where it ends, where it all ends with Jesus on the cross, uh, resurrected after three days. And now, finally, and most importantly, how do we respond? You know, the, does this have any relevance to us, this weird covenant of circumcision with a guy named Abraham who lived and died a long, long time ago? I would kind of argue yes, you know, sort of because I'm supposed to. Like, if I was like, ah, guys, this is not relevant for you at all, <laughs> you'd kind of feel like I just wasted some of your time. But it really is actually significantly relevant for you. Uh, so let's read from verse uh, 22 onward. So you can turn there with me. So when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham, and then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. 
As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money uh, from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So, uh, very important to remember and, and note here that uh, that very day. That's a, a really important phrase. So, Abraham, after this encounter with God, after this encounter with uh, God's promises, that very day he took care of this. So my exhortation to you all would be, uh, if there's something that God is calling you to do, do it today. If you're thinking about it like, ah, well, what if, and then like, ah, but this, I would say do it this very day, right? This is your eternal destiny that we are talking about. Right? I would say do it this very day, just like Abraham did. Uh, the second thing to notice is that God has no grandchildren. Now, what do I mean by that? God has no grandchildren. As we will see in the, in the rest of, uh, well, as you'll see in your own time, we're not going to read it this morning, but in the rest of the Bible, uh, Abraham's offspring are continually messing up, as are we today. Uh, you cannot be in a relate, right relationship with God because of your parents. A lot of people say, well, I come from a Christian family. You know, when I grew up, we went to church, so I'm probably right with God. You know, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Jewish person, so I'm probably a Christian. You know, I'm probably good to go. Uh, God has no grandchildren. You're either his child or you are his enemy. Those are, that is the dichotomy. You are his child or you are his enemy. Uh, if that was a weird phrase for you, the, the book of Romans makes that very clear. Uh, Romans chapter 5 says that, you know, uh, God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? That's the, you know, the awesome Carson Wentz cleat uh, verse that he has on his cleats, Romans 5.8. Actually, right after that, it says that uh, while we were his enemies, he sent his own son to die for us. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us, Right? And then it talks about in the Gospel of John that we can become the children of God. Children of God is not something you are by birthright. Children of God is something you become, right? You are born an enemy of God and you have the chance to become a friend, a child of God. Uh, so then, probably finally, we... Uh, is there something, we, we talked about this, circumcision is the symbolic aspect of cutting something away, a circumcision of the heart. So I would ask you, like, is there something that you need to cut out of your life, something that is preventing you from living a blameless life that glorifies God? Is there something in your life that needs to be cut out, right? I would encourage you uh, sometime, maybe today or sometime this week, think about it, pray about it. God, is there something that you are calling me to remove from my life, to cut out? Or something to add into my life, right? Do you have a time of personal devotion every morning or, uh, you know, every day with God? Do you have a time where you can work on and pursue a relationship with him? Is that something that's in your life, right? Is that something that's important to you for, to be in your life? Uh, and then finally, uh, maybe it would be quite fitting. So some circumcision is, was this symbolic outward sign of God's transformation within a person, right? Of his blessing on a people group. Uh, in the New Testament, in the new covenant, right, that Jesus enacted, baptism 
is the outward sign of uh, significance, of something that's happening in you. Uh, Jesus himself was baptized, and he commands all his followers to be baptized as well. If this isn't something that you've done, I would, I would strongly encourage you that very day. <laughs> well, I don't know if we have, a, we have a pool or not. We do have a sink in there. We can make it happen, Brian, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but uh, certainly next week, you know, baptism is an extremely important thing. It doesn't make you right with God. Just as circumcision didn't make anybody right with God. It didn't, uh, you know, it was something that Jesus commanded his followers to do as a symbol of something that was happening within you. When you become a Christian, you don't become a good person. You don't become a better person, right? You become a living person. And baptism is this significance of, uh, in Romans chapter 6, it makes this very clear, of it's this act of dying and rising again with Christ. It's symbolic of your unity, that you've died with him and that you've been raised to life, to new life, in Christ. It's this incredibly important thing, not only as an outward expression of your faith to uh, your family members and your friends and the world at large, but it, it's just a tremendous act of obedience uh, to do it to God. So I would encourage you. But uh, all of these things will mean nothing. All of these things, everything I've just said will mean nothing if you walk out of here today and think that you have to do more things in order to make yourself right with God. That's not what Jesus' sacrifice means. His sacrifice means that uh, grace, that salvation is a free gift to you. The difference between hell and heaven is not how hard you work or how many religious boxes you check off. The difference between heaven and hell is did you believe in Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross and do you repent of your sins? Do you turn from a God-hater to a God-lover? That's what, that's what salvation means. So all of, I, all of what I've just said will mean nothing if you walk away uh, thinking that you have to do more to earn God's favor in your life. Uh, God's favor in your life is always by grace. Abraham did not deserve God's favor in his grace, but God gave it to him anyway, as he has to many of us. Would you pray with me?